chapter 4. Last week we saw the, the healing of the lame man. We saw how Peter and John met this lame man who was at the gate of miracles, the, the beautiful gate, the gate of Corinthian bronze, uh, Nicanor's gate. And, and they came to him and they, they said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. Stand up and walk. And he did. And so Peter then, after that, talks to the people that are gathered there. He talks to them and says, says look what you just witnessed. You just saw the power of God. You saw that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man was healed. And so he, he essentially preaches a sermon again. And then we're going to pick up in, in verse Four, or chapter 4, what happens then? Now, in his sermon, Peter specifically calls upon two different prophecies. One, in Genesis 12, that said when, when God tells Abraham that he will bless the world through, through Abraham, and that's Jesus. And then he, he also goes from Deuteronomy 18, the prophecy that Moses says. Moses says, God is going to raise up another one like me. And, and Peter applies that to Jesus as well. So what, what he's doing is he's, he's letting these people know who are gathered at the, at the temple, these Jewish people, he's letting them know this is the Jewish Messiah. He's making sure they understand that. And so we'll skip forward through all of that. That was the, the Reader's Digest version of his sermon there. And... Uh, and we'll pick up on what happens next. So, so uh, Acts chapter 4, we're going to read the first 12 verses. And it is up here behind me. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. Because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men who came to the, the number of the men came to about five thousand. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them: By what power? Or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there was no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So let's, uh, let's first again talk about the context. 
Peter and John are speaking with this, the people that had literally witnessed the, the healing of this lame man. And, and so they're, they're talking about uh, both believers and non-believers. They're, he's really talking to everyone. And all of them saw this miracle. All of them witnessed this firsthand. They were part of it. Think about, just for a minute, we, we often talk about what this did to the people that were gathered there. It says 5,000 people came to know Christ that day. So we talk about that, but think about what this did for Peter and John. Peter and John had seen Jesus doing miracles. Now, Jesus was doing miracles through them. Think about how that, what that did to their faith, how they were part of a miracle. And how were they part of a miracle? It, it, it's really simple. They were obedient because they went, they were going to the, the, the temple to pray at the, at the prayer hour of three o'clock. They were just being obedient to what, uh, uh, to what God had said about going to the temple and praying. So they were being obedient and then they just spoke in the name of Jesus and things happen. I want you to understand that it's still this way. It's still this way. Obedience and speaking in the name of Jesus makes you part of miracles. Part of miracles. Think of what it did for their faith. Think of what it would do for your faith. If we were to, to just be obedient and to speak in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because it heals people. And there's, that's the second point I would make is that there's kind of a play in words on healed and saved and salvation. They're all from the same uh, Greek root word. Now, the way Greek works is it uses root words and then it puts prefixes and suffixes on the word to change the meaning in, in the context. It, it tells you the, the, how many people, you know, it, it's first person, second person. All of that is in the prefix and suffix. So it changes the word slightly, but the root word remains. And the root word for healed and saved and salvation is the same. It's the same word. So there's kind of a play on words that doesn't come through in English well, that, that's here in the Greek, that, that we have healed and saved, saved and healed. They're, they're almost interchangeable. We are healed when we are saved, and we are saved when we are healed. And so these, these two interplay consistently. And we see that, see Peter using it that way. And then, as I mentioned before, it says in verse 4, at least 5,000 were saved by faith in Christ. 5,000. So we've seen when Peter preached his first sermon, 3,000. Then it said that the, the early church, they added to their number daily. And now Peter preaches again, and it's 5,000 more. This is the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when you are obedient, yielded to the Holy Spirit, and speak in the name of Jesus. Miracles happen. Miracles happen. 5,000 people plus, because that's only the men, 5,000 people come to Christ. So, so Peter and John then face the Jewish leaders. And it talks about this, the captain of the temple police, the Sadducees, the priests. This is what we know in the, in the New Testament as the Sanhedrin. 
This is the ruling council of Jerusalem. And these, these folks are powerful people. Now, what's interesting is we're given a few names here. And I think God wants us to understand who these people are. For instance, it talks about Annas, the high priest. Annas wasn't the high priest. Caiaphas was the high priest. If you remember from your Gospels, it's Caiaphas that Jesus has the trial in front of. Annas is Caiaphas's father. So he was the high priest, but he retired. But apparently, he's still got some pull because he's on this council. And because Luke here, in writing it, says Annas is the high priest. So he, he's, he's, he's calling Caiaphas a puppet. He's saying that Caiaphas only does what Annas wants. And then there's a, a, somebody named John. That's probably Jonathan, the other son of Annas. So you, you see these are powerful people, politically powerful people. And then it lists an Alexander. Now, Alexander is clearly not a Jewish name. So it's probably a, a Roman family. We don't know who Alexander is. But because he's on this, in this crowd with Annas and Caiaphas and Jonathan, it's probably a, the, a wealthy, influential Roman family in Jerusalem. So this is this Jerusalem council. This is this uh, ruling council of Jerusalem that, that contains both Jews and Romans. This, these folks have a lot to lose if Jesus is the Messiah. Because remember, the, the Jewish idea of the Messiah, the expectation is that the Messiah will come and rule from Jerusalem. So if the Messiah comes and rules from Jerusalem, all these folks are out of power. They have no political clout left. They have no respect left. They're out. So they have a lot to lose if this is, it, if this is the Messiah that Peter is preaching about. So they ask, this ruling council asks Peter and John, by whose authority, in whose name, in whose power do you do this miracle? And, and so Peter, he preaches. He just, he tells them. Peter, Luke tells us here that, uh, that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what, what that means for us is he was yielded to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit said, speak, he spoke. Have you ever been in a position where you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you to speak and you didn't? I think we all have. Peter was fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. So we have the three kind of elements of a miracle. Obedience, yielded to the Holy Spirit, and speaking in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Those three things create miracles. God does miracles through that, and that's what Peter is saying here. It was in the name, in the power, in the presence of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, that all of this happened. Now, there's something else that we can see from this, and that is that when, we're, when we are obedient and yielded to the Holy Spirit and speaking in the name of Jesus, it will cause the powers on earth to be uncomfortable. We will face opposition for it. We will. We still will. If you are yielded to the Holy Spirit and speak in the name of Jesus at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you will face opposition. 
because the powers of this world don't want it. They don't want to lose their power any more than this ruling council does. They don't want to lose their influence, their authority, any more than this Jewish council does or this, this Jerusalem council does. We will face opposition when we are obedient, when we are yielded to the Holy Spirit, and when we speak in the name of Jesus. We will face opposition. You know, our enemy, Satan, he doesn't care if you just go to church and go home. Doesn't bother him a bit. But when you start speaking in the name of Jesus, that's encroaching on his territory, and he will oppose you. You see it here. And we, we still know that it still happens today. So, th so what does Peter say in this little sermon? Well, he tells them that they're being questioned and, and, and this is, he's showing the, the, this ruling council and everybody who's listening how they're actually, what their thought process is. Because he's saying, now, you want us to tell you how we did a good thing. We, th this man was lame and now is healed. This is a good thing. We did him no harm. We did him good. And you're questioning us on how, we, on, on how and why we did good. You can see the, the, the political in structure, basically, of this ruling council, can't you? They don't want to lose their power. They don't want to lose their authority. They don't want to lose what they have. And so they're, they're questioning. They put Peter and John on trial for doing good. Not for doing harm, for doing good. And Peter exposes that in his sermon. And then he points directly to them. We've, we've been dragged to these rulers because we spoke in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And, and you guys just don't want to lose the power. You guys, he, he points it right at them. And, and notice he says, by, we did this by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Boy, that hurts. That's pointing right at him, isn't it? Peter does this a lot. We saw it in his first sermon, right on the day of Pentecost. We see this constant, whom you crucified. Now, it's more than just blaming somebody. Peter's not being mean. There's actually a really important theological point here, and that is that it is our sin that put Christ on that cross. Ours. We can look back at these people and say, yeah, they physically nailed him to the cross, but my sin did that. Your sin did that. This is actually, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about grieving your sin, about actually getting to the point where you, where you understand the destruction your sin has caused. That's what he's doing again here. He's not being mean. He is saying sin caused this death, and it still does. You and I, our sin, nailed Jesus to the cross. You know the, the song we just sang, How Deep the Father's Love? It has two lines in it that, uh, that we need to really internalize. It says, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. 
Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. We have to get to that point. We have to realize that's the destruction our sin has caused. Because we can't, we can't have a Savior until we know we need one. We can't get to the point where we reach out for help until we know we need help. We can't understand our hopelessness until we see the hope of Christ. We need to get to this point. We need to get to the point where it says, whom I crucified. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom I crucified. Because it is our sin that held him there. Our sin did that. And then he, then he says, whom God raised from the dead. Now, this is, this is actually the point that they really didn't like. The Sadducees don't believe in an afterlife. And so they're saying, wait, there can't be a, a, the resurrection of someone because there's no afterlife. And this is really the point in, at the beginning of the, this, this passage that, that brings them in front of the, the Sadducees and the, and the ruling council is, wait, you're talking about the resurrection of the dead. You're talking about something we don't believe in. But Peter makes this point clear. God raised Jesus from the dead. See, the, the Sadducees and a lot of the rulers, the, the point that, that really stuck with them, they couldn't believe he was the Messiah because he died. But God raised him from the dead, so his his death on the cross didn't show his powerlessness. It showed the power of God within him. It showed what they didn't recognize. They didn't see that, that this resurrect, this, the resurrection literally makes him the Messiah. In fact, Peter even uses Psalm 118 to, to, uh, to tell them that. In verse 11 it says, This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders which has become the cornerstone. These folks that were the ones who crucified Jesus rejected the stone that God turned into the cornerstone of all who believe in Christ. The cornerstone of the church. The cornerstone of all believers upon which every believer is built. Jesus, the cornerstone, he's, he's, he's using Psalm 118, to show them how wrong they are. Show them that they have rejected the stone that God has used to build the church and to build the believers and to have now well over 8,000 people come to Christ. The cornerstone is Jesus. So he uses this, this uh, Psalm 118 to show them that, who they are and who Jesus is. They are the ones that rejected him. Jesus had to be rejected by his own, by the Jewish people, because of this psalm. This psalm said it was going to happen. He had to be rejected. But God took the stone that was rejected and made him the, the cornerstone of everything. So, so again, it doesn't, the death of Jesus doesn't point to his powerlessness. It points to the power of God. It points to who God is and who Jesus is. It points us to the, to, 
to our life, how, how sin is completely paid for in the death of Jesus, and how in our current life we have the life of Christ within us. It points us to all of those things that they rejected. And if the name of Jesus, if simply speaking in the name of Jesus can heal this lame man, what else can it do? What other miracles can happen? Because he, they spoke in the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus. Nazareth. So Peter makes an appeal at the end. Now, if you look through the sermons of Peter, he does this a lot. He, this is what we might call the invitation in our service today. He makes an appeal for them to believe. And that appeal is verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. See, Peter comes full circle. He says, they ask, by whose name, in whose name, by whose power do you do this? And it's the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus that, that under heaven no other name is given but Jesus by which you were saved. So he brings them full circle. The, the, the council that rejected Jesus rejected the stone that God used to build to, to make the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone of the people of God. So you see how Peter kind of fully circles them and then puts it on them. Will you be saved? Will you be healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? That's his appeal. Because there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So, I, I give that same appeal to you. I use Peter's appeal and say, will you be saved? Will you be healed? Will you be healed and saved? Saved and healed. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because there is no other name under heaven given among us by which we must be saved. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and just consider Consider the question, are you healed? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus died for your sin and that your sin put him there? Maybe this morning you're seeing your sin as the nails that held Jesus to the cross for the first time. Would you be saved? Would you be healed? It's a simple prayer. First, we acknowledge that we have sin. God, I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I choose to trust that Jesus died on that cross to save me, to pay my price. So I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. And I ask you to come into my life and empower me that I might yield to you as Peter did here. Heal me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you need to let somebody know. Elbow your neighbor and let them know. Come and let me know. Maybe this morning you know Christ. 
but you have never considered, never really thought through point that your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. You take a moment right now to consider that. They can take a moment right now to thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Father, that that you have given us Jesus to pay the price for our sin, that it was our sin that nailed him to that cross. Help us to be part of miracles. Help us to be obedient, to be yielded, and to speak in the name of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.